Brother Ogletree that a handful of people got up and walked out. So (laughs) I said, you know, I've had enough trouble in the past with people coming to my Tupperware parties, which which they don't, that uh, (laughs) I didn't think I could could quite take it if I got here and half the people didn't show up because he wasn't here. So, So anyway, it turns out that this morning, besides jury duty, that he was also having kind of a bad morning because he got up to have breakfast and uh, the cap that he has on, his, on one of his teeth right here fell out. So he's not only at jury duty, but he's there as a snaggle duty. So, <laughs> and then probably going to the dentist after that. So anyway, well, I have something to say. First, is that I don't have my clicker here. A few years ago, I don't know, about three years ago or so, um, there was going to be a young women's activity at my house, and the young women leaders were going to be there, and all the girls were going to be there. And um, at the time, we had children living with us, as well as grandchildren. And you know what they say about cleaning house when you have children in the house? It's like doing what? <laughs> Shoveling during a snowstorm. Right? And so our house continually looked like we had little children living there, which we did. Which, oh, by the way, Patrick, would you stand up? Speaking of children, <laughs> this is our youngest son, Patrick, and uh, he is here today helping me with the PowerPoint and with setting up the computer and everything because last night I learned how to do PowerPoint for the very first time. <laughs> so, my slides aren't going to be like Kevin's. But anyway, that aside, um, getting ready for this young women's event, I cleaned and I cleaned and I cleaned and I cleaned. And you know how it is when you have kids living with you, everything's sticky. And uh, so I cleaned. I was so nervous I even called in a friend to clean with me. And we continued to clean. And uh, that night, as all the young women got there, I looked around and I thought, ah, you know, it looks pretty good. And... uh, we didn't have quite enough chairs and girls were sitting on the floor. So I went over. We have, uh, before you go upstairs, there's like three or four steps and then it turns and then it goes off. You know, there's a little landing and the stairs go the rest of the way up. Well, I went over there and sat on that little landing. And, uh, you know, I'm just looking around, just so proud of how good everything looked. And then I looked at the wall right there next to the landing and it was covered with dirty, grimy little kids fingerprints. And I just thought, there is no end. (laughs) I could do this for a week and there would be no end. I would still find things to clean. Well, that's kind of what it's been like studying about Abraham, which is what we're doing today. We're going to be studying Abraham, well, we're we're going to be studying Genesis 12 to 17. And uh, to back that up, it will be Abraham 1 and 2 as well. Well, I have been studying and studying and studying. There is no end (laughs) of studying about Abraham. I could pack my head full, and some of it's going to fall out to the other side. And and still, there would be no end of studying. And that's not even getting to the part about Isaac uh, and Abraham and, and what goes on after that. This is just the earlier years, so to speak, of Abraham. So... We're going to try to get to a lot of stuff today. I don't guarantee that we'll get to it all. So if there's something that you would like to bring up, please do that. So, um, 
Now, we've got to do this the right way, right? There's, there's history here, that we, and we have to make sure that we do it the right way. So here's the token humor to make sure that we do today's class right, right? Because you can't start Kevin's class without this. How to tell if your contacts are inside out. How many of you wear contacts or have worn contacts? Lots of people here. If you look closely, you'll see the sides flare out a bit like this if it's, the wrong, if it's on the wrong side. And if you put them in like that, they kind of feel like this. Okay? I was going to wear my contacts today because I couldn't stand the idea of standing up here like this. But uh, I didn't quite get them in. So, um, and next, okay, news of the week. What happened this week? What have you got to tell? You mean, you mean church news? Personally. Personally. Yeah, whatever. What, what's happened to you this week? There there been any mission calls? Kevin? I got to sit home and watch Relief Society on the TV while my Right. <laughs> right. And you know what? Next week, I'm going to watch Priesthood. <laughs> How about that? What else? Anything else? We went camping, and it was awesome because we haven't had time as a family. Where'd you go? Uh, Bonham State Park and also Cooper Lake. Cool. Cool. Anything else? Okay. I had something happen this week, which I did not want to say anything to anybody about. I mean, it's nothing bad. It's really good. I didn't want to say anything about it because it's just one of those things you kind of keep to yourself. But uh, Kevin begged me to please go ahead and, and tell the story today. Um, a week or so ago in Relief Society, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but the occasion came up that I was able to raise my hand to make a comment. And the comment that I made was that um, we are under a divine mandate to love the Lord our God, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so sometimes when things come up in our lives that we don't quite know what we're supposed to do, for instance, maybe somebody in our family or maybe a friend has decided to do something that we don't quite support and we don't quite agree with. For instance, if a person, and this is the, this is the example that I think I used, uh, if a person came out in your family that, that they were uh, gay, for instance, and how do, you, how do you react to that? You know, do you say, I don't agree with that, get out of my house. <coughs> or I can't have you stay here. I can't, you know, if you have some kind of a celebration uh, with a significant other, uh, say a civil union or a marriage or something like that, that I can't agree with, that I can't go to it because that would... That would mean, you know, that I was supporting it and I just can't support it. Okay, so something like that. But we're under this divine mandate to love one another. And so we have to decide what that means. Well, yesterday, um, a sister that uh, goes to our ward came up to me and said, I just want you to know that, I just want you to thank you for what you said in Relief Society last week. And I'm going, I don't know what I said in Relief Society last week. And uh, she says, well, and she said what I just told you. She says, a friend of mine uh, called me up and told me that her son 
uh, came out and confessed to her that he was gay. And she was so upset, she was so irate, she says, get out of my house and don't ever come back. And um, she said, I told my friend that she couldn't do that. And then I told her what you said, that we are under a divine mandate to love one another. And um, no matter what the other person has done, that we need to love one another. And so she called her son, this other woman called her son, and said, I want you to come back home. And he said, why? You were, you know, you were pretty specific. You never wanted to see me again. And she said, well, I understand now that we're supposed to love one another. And he says, what changed your mind? And she said, well, don't thank me. Thank the Mormons. <laughs> and so, <laughs> my mouth, as she told me that, my mouth just kind of opened. <laughs> and I didn't know what to say except for sometimes the things that we say and sometimes the things that we do ring down through the ages and we don't even know the changes that they can make in people's lives like I said I would not have shared that but Kevin asked me if I, if I would please pass that along so be careful what you say and what you do another time when I was back when I was working at UDS I was sitting at a lunch table next to a man who was also LDS, and he had quite a bit to say on a certain subject, and it was very negative. I don't even remember what the subject was, but it was very, very negative. And there was another man sitting a little ways down the table, and I could tell he was listening. And as he was, as I could tell he was listening, I just thought about the other man. I thought, stop, stop, please stop, please stop saying those things. But I, I didn't say anything, you know. And pretty soon, the man who was sitting a little ways down from the table said, what church do you guys belong to? And the guy straightened up and he goes, well, we belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I was thinking, no, no, no. <laughs> so that can also echo down through the ages. So we need to be careful about the things that we say and the things that we do. So let's then go on. Last night, not last night, but Saturday night, General Relief Society Conference. Keeping the Covenants was the theme. Did you notice that? How could you miss it? Keeping the Covenants was the theme. Imagine that. We will be talking about the Abrahamic Covenant today. So it was kind of fortuitous that we would be doing that. But first, a warning. This is also the first time I've used a clicker, so. <laughs> we will be likening the scriptures about Abraham to ourselves today. Uh-oh. Likening the scriptures. Can you fix that back? <laughs> That's great. Likening the scriptures to our personal lives helps us discover the gospel principles and receive personal revelation. Now, you'll notice that in the Book of Mormon, there's a... Oh, thank you. <laughs> in the Book of Mormon, there's a part that everybody just kind of groans when they have to read. What would that be? <laughs> Second Nephi. Everybody knows it. Second Nephi. But why would it be in there? It was because Nephi was likening Isaiah to them. Because... They were wanderers in a strange land, weren't they? They felt like strangers in a strange land. 
And that part of Isaiah that's in 2 Nephi is all about the scattering and the recovering of Israel, which they were Israel, right? And so he had likened the scriptures to them, and that's why he was telling them that. So Nephi said, I did liken all scriptures unto us that it might be for our profit and learning. So what we're going to be talking about with Abraham today, hopefully, we will liken it to ourselves, and it's going to be for our profit and learning. Even though the scriptures were written long ago, they provide inspiration for our modern-day dilemmas when we learn to liken them to ourselves. Did Abraham have dilemmas? What were some of his dilemmas? Ishmael. Huh? Ishmael. Ishmael. <laughs> the whole thing surrounding Ishmael, right? How to get rid of a wife. What? How to get rid of one of his wives. To turn her around. Okay. <laughs> what else? His father. His father? What else? Moving. Moving? All over the place. Okay, so we're going to talk about some of those. Um, how can I liken the scriptures to my own life? Okay, well, we're the part about where he had to have Sarias's sister, or he was going to be killed. Okay, and we're going to talk about tough. that. We're going to talk about that, actually. Okay, so we're going to compare the scripture, scriptural events to our own lives, find the principles being taught, and we're going to insert our names. Maybe where Abraham's name is, we might learn about inserting our own name there to see how we can liken the scriptures to ourselves. Okay, so oh my goodness. How could I liken this to myself? That's kind of interesting. Okay, I don't have Kevin's iPad with all of his scriptures that he rolls up and down the screen. So we're actually going to have to get out the real thing. I'm not even used to bringing these with me because I just, you know, look up at the screen on his. And this morning, Patrick had to run down to the library down here to get me a set of scriptures because I actually forgot to bring my scriptures. So, anyway, this is on the book of, in the book of Abraham, right next to chapter 1. Okay? And it's called facsimile number 1. So, if I have a handy-dandy pointer here. Let's take a look at these. Figure number 1. Kevin says that it's Isis, but... The scripture here says that it is the angel of the Lord. Okay? And number two, Abraham fastened on an altar. Number three, the idolatrous, idolatrous priest of Elkanah. Number four, this is the altar. Okay? Kind of an interesting altar. Looks like some kind of an animal. Okay, and under the altar, there's idolatrous gods down here. There's even one down here. Do you see that? What does that look like? Huh? Can you tell what that looks like? Kind of looks like a crocodile. Can you see it now? Kind of looks like a cro- crocodile. It was called the, uh, the god, the idolatrous god of, of Pharaoh. So these are the idolatrous gods of Elkanah, 
of Libna, of Mamakra, of Korash, and then of Pharaoh. Okay, now, in your wildest imagination, can you think of how we can liken this facsimile to our own lives? Now, you might think that this is kind of silly, but this is how my brain worked when I looked at it. I thought, okay, likening it to myself. Here's the Spirit of the Lord, and He's watching me. Or maybe it's an angel, but He's watching me. He's going to know the things that I think, the things that I do, the things that I say. He's watching me to see what I'm going to do, to see if I need some help. Here's me, and I'm laying on an altar, (coughs) and here are the false gods that I tend to serve on a daily basis, okay? Now, the question is, is what kind of an altar have I tied myself down to? kind of on a regular basis. Let's see if I've got some explanations, some some clues here. Do I allow myself to be bound down to any idolatrous altars? My computer, my bed, my favorite store? The list could go on and on. There's lots of things that I can spend my time on every day that I can attach myself to, that I can bind myself down to. Do I have other gods that I worship daily? And remember, here's... Looks like he's reaching for the god. Here's the little, here's the little gods. Looks like what? Looks like Abraham was reaching for the... For the spirit of the Lord? Lord. Well, actually, he he is. I I haven't noticed it that way. Because Abraham is actually going to, to cry out. He's going to call out to the Lord to help him, and the Lord is going to, is going to rescue him. So maybe that's what he's doing there. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but, the, but the false gods, do I have other gods that I worship daily? For example, the god of Pinterest. <laughs> if I'm tied down to the false idol of my, or the false altar of my computer, what gods can I worship on there? Well, pick your poison. <laughs> There's lots of them out there. Um, the other thing that I thought about, and this may seem silly to you, but all these little false gods here, what, what can some of our false gods be? I can tell you what mine are, some of them. <laughs> Fred? Could be pride. Pride could be one of them. What's, what's another one? Well, I'll, I'll get the I'll try to get the ball rolling for you here. I'll, I'll bring it down to uh, how about for me. I I wrestle with certain demons. This could be the god of chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> you think? This could be the uh, the the uh, god of sleeping in my uh, easy chair. <laughs> you know, a little, a little uh, nodding of the head, a little folding of the arms, you know, and, and suddenly you're down. This could be, this could be the uh, god of uh, 
reading until it's 4 o'clock in the morning and not being able to get up in the morning early enough to do the things that I need to do because I can't put my book down. Monty? False gods probably actually jars with the It is. It is. It's, it's what they call co-canoptic jars. Or to be, you give your life to the Lord, or you give your physical self to the world. Yeah. So, so this the this the jar of uh, this god of chocolate chip cookies that that could be a cookie jar. So, <laughs> full of, instead of the uh, instead of the innards of uh, of the god, it could be you know cookies. Um, you know, this this could be uh, <coughs> whiling away my time texting for about an hour when I could, uh, you know, pick up the phone and tell the person what I wanted them to know. So there's there's all kinds of there's all kinds of things during our day that take us away from the goals or the things that we would really like to be doing. Um, yesterday, I had day before yesterday. I had gone to the library because I didn't want to be around the house while I was trying to study Abraham because I knew all the things that could distract me. And so I went to the library, and I got a lot of studying done. It was amazing. And then I came home, and I thought, oh, I need to check Facebook. I need to check my email. I need to check Drudge Report to see if anything's happened on this uh, you know, uh, health uh, health bill, you know, that they're going to vote on. I mean, and, and before I knew it, an hour had gone by. An hour of really precious time that I needed to study on Abraham. But I was, you know, had to pay attention to my false god of the internet. So, um, so that's one way. Oh. I, I'm just thinking about this. We've been studying for our school, um, Ancient Egypt, and these jars, what they would do with is when they would mummify the person, they would put all the organs yeah. in the jars. So our organs, we're commanded in the scriptures to love the Lord with all our heart and with all our mind and with all our strength and with all of our organs. And if your organs are going to these other gods, if your heart is going to this thing or and your mind is going to this thing and your different parts of you are going all these different directions, then you can't be serving Heavenly Father. And it's just... Seeming very significant, much more significant to me than I've ever thought about this picture before. That these jars are for collecting all of our organs that we're supposed to be giving Heavenly Father. Wow, that is that is a great comment. That is a great comment. Thank you. Um, let's also tie that to how we teach our children to put on the armor of God and the armor of God. That's right. It's protecting vital parts inside. Your 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 heart, your you know your kidneys, your everything. That's a great comment too, What is really interesting about the philosophy of the Egyptians is that they knew eternal life and they knew the basics. The devil just twisted their minds enough to go away from the right God. But the principles were the same that we teach. Okay. I can't. It's Kimberly. Kimberly, hi. <laughs> My reading glasses don't go that far. <laughs> um, when you said, what takes me away from the goals that I have, that's what really struck me when talking about where our hearts are. Because many of the things you suggested are not bad things. And in, in moderation, the 
those things are sometimes very important mm -hmm. when we get downtime, that we have time to be on focus. It's when they, we are doing them to the exclusion uh, or doing them not in proportion to, to what our goals really are. And so often that's the thing. It gets easy to get sucked into that and then lose and not get back to it's not that any of those things, if we're not worshiping them, so to speak, they could be okay things, but when we do it That's right, and it's like Gallen Oak says, that even our strengths can become our weaknesses if we, if we pay too much attention. Okay, anybody else? Great comments. Okay. Now... Let's try likening this to ourselves, likening the scriptures to ourselves with an actual scripture. So I'm going to ask you to get out your scriptures if you don't already have them out and go to the Pearl of Great Price. Find Abraham chapter 1. In, in chapter 1, particularly in verses 1 and 2, we're going to find out about Abraham. Well, about Abram. We're going to find out about Abram. Okay, and so to begin with, I need somebody to read verses 1 and 2 loudly and slowly enough that we can, can bring it in. Okay, Wendy, would, would you stand up? In the land of the Chaldeans, at the residence of my fathers, I, Abraham, saw that it was needful for me to obtain another place of residence. And finding there was greater happiness and peace and rest for me, I sought for the blessings of the fathers, and the right whereunto I should be ordained to administer the same, having been myself a follower of righteousness, desiring also to be one who possesses great knowledge, and to be a great follower of righteousness, and to possess a greater knowledge, and to be a father of many nations a prince of peace, and desiring to receive instructions and to keep the commandments of God, I became a rightful heir, a high priest, holding the rights belonging to the fathers. Okay, thank you. All right. Now we'll, we'll get back to likening this to ourselves in just a second, but in learning about Abraham, Ab or Abram, Abram had a problem. The priesthood that he desired was patriarchal. Meaning what? Yeah, it passed down from fathers to sons. So can you see what can you see what Abram's problem was? What about Abram's father? A wicked man. He was a wicked man. He was a wicked man. If he ever had the priesthood, it wasn't functioning at that time. We don't know when Abram's family became apostate. Abraham actually descended from Shem. So he had, he had a righteous uh, heritage. Or, yeah, he had a righteous heritage. Is that the right word? He had a righteous heritage. But somewhere along the way, the wheels fell off. And whether that went righteous all the way down to Terah and the wheels fell off, we, we don't know. But somewhere along the way that it did. And the ability to pass that patriarchal priesthood on from father to son was lost for Abram. Now, were, have, have any, were any of you 
raised, and this and this could be a tender subject, but you know, if you'll share, I think it will be helpful to all of us. Were any of you raised having a father who was less active or didn't honor his priesthood? Would anybody want to share what you felt about that? What's your What's your name? Vicky. Vicky. Vicky, would you share? Um, my husband has had to be ordained to every office that he's held since elder by my father. Uh huh. Instead of his own father. Uh huh. Because the wheels fell off. Um, that at times has been very hard for my husband to accept that. You know, to I mean, he's, he's grateful that he had someone that was available to him that was close to him. But it would have meant so much more to him if it had been his own father. And do you have children? Yes. Does that affect the way that he feels about how he wants the, the patriarch that he wants to be in his family? Yes, in your yes. family? He has, he has one son. And <coughs> he does everything that he can um, to help our son to you know, to grow and to progress um, right. in that way so that that patriarchal order can continue. You know. Right. Would anybody else like to share? Um, when I was very little, my dad was actually excommunicated from the church. And um, She was very embarrassed to show that everybody knew what was going on and nobody knew, you know. But um but being raised with him for the first few years, um, you know, he was never there at church. He was never you know, if we ever needed anything, we always went to our home teachers or all our knees and then my parents kept finally kept separating um, we were in the youth program by that point and they had called a new bishopric and that bishopric really took our family as you know as part of their families mm-hmm. and and their wives were very close to us and you know I think seeing those relationships is what taught us what the family is supposed to be like because we are seeing that okay. all in our home. Okay, thank you. So Remember the, the 
as soon as he was done with the prayer, he said it's not going to work. Because he would feel towards having a righteous father who could bless their lives? Abram did not have a righteous father who could bless his life. Now, in that, uh, I think it was the second verse, what are the things that he's yearning for? Take a look at it and just, and just call them out, okay? Read through what it is that he's yearning for, what he wants, what he desires, that he cannot get from his father. Knowledge. Knowledge. What? Instruction. Instruction. Peace. 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 To be a follower of righteousness. To keep the commandments. Must be a father of many nations. He wants to be a father of many nations, which I thought was interesting because I thought, yeah, I wonder how he knows about that. And a prince of peace. And a prince of peace. And, and right here. As we talk about to the separation of these things and the things that distract from that which is true and I'm reminded of a, there's an Oriental proverb which states, the dog barks and the caravan travels on. And uh, the literal interpretation of that is recognize that uh, the caravan has a specific destiny and a route that it's taking to uh, safely and successfully complete the journey. Now, our responsibility is to be in that caravan because we certainly, in this church, there is a caravan which has a specific destination. And we can be in the caravan or we can be in the dog that barks <laughs> and uh, just provides a distraction for those things we should be doing. 
all of these signs, the idea that uh, that uh, the Egyptians, as they mummified, took major organs, or particularly the brain and the heart, and separated it from the rest of the body, and Abraham's unrighteous father, these were just merely the dog barking. But the, the caravan traveled on. And that's our responsibility to be in that caravan. That's right. And Abram is about to hop into the caravan, isn't he? That's what he wants. He wants, he wants to live a life of righteousness. He wants to be on the caravan. And so what he's going to do is actually pretty amazing for his day. He's going to go and find someone who can do these things for him. And uh, oh, I don't have my notes here with me, but Abram got his priesthood from the person of his day who could, who could give that to him. You know who it was? From Melchizedek. That's right. That's who he got his priesthood from. Which is, uh, is pretty interesting because if we just look at gen- the Genesis account, we, we don't see very much of Melchizedek, do we? We have to go into Abram, I mean Abraham, and also the, um, the uh, traditions of the day. One of the things about studying about Abraham is that there is a wealth of information, biblical and non-biblical, because there is, there's Genesis, there's Abraham, there is uh, the, the Mishnah that you always hear Kevin talk about, the, the stories or traditions of the day that explain certain, certain concepts or, or, or the, uh, the actions of certain people. There is the book of Jasher, which even the Bible talks about, but, or the Bible refers to the book of Jasher, but we don't have it as part of our, uh, as part of our canon of Scripture. But there is just a multitude of information about Abram from all of these, from all of these sources. So, let's then go back to that, to those verses one or two. Now, I want to give you a couple of minutes here, and I want you to liken this to yourself. And I, I hope that somebody will be ready to share what they, what they have put in here where Abram talks about what it is that he wants and what he's going to do to, to get it and um, just all of that. And perhaps you can already see the outcome in your life of something that you want so you can, you can actually take this to the end instead of just saying, this is what I want. You can say, this is what I wanted and this is how it happened. But go ahead and take those scriptures and look at them and... Uh, in the land of the Chaldees, at the residence of my fathers, I, Abram, saw that it was needful for me to obtain another place of residence. For me, I would have said, in the land of Texas, <laughs> at the residence of my fathers, out in East Texas, out in the country, <laughs> I saw, I, Cindy, saw that it was needful for me to now obtain another place of residence. Was that because my home was a wicked place? No. But I had come to the time of life that now it was time for me to go. Now, in verse 2, I would say all of the things that I did in order to leave, what I wanted to have happen when I was gone, 
and perhaps what the outcome of it was. So go ahead and see if you can do that. And then I'd like it if somebody could share. So I'll just hold on for a couple of minutes here. If anybody gets finished, you can go ahead and raise your hand if you want to share. Is that Fran? Yes. Okay, Fran, would you like to go ahead? When I joined the church, I had um, quite a few bad habits. And I had friends who I worked with who knew all my bad habits because they had them too. So when I joined the church, it was very difficult to give those up and to live the life that I now wanted to live. And so I prayed hard and decided to ask the Lord to help me get a transfer from where I was working to any place else in the world where I could come in fresh and they nobody would know of my past and I could be the person I wanted to be. And so I got an opportunity to transfer from Sacramento, California, to San Antonio, Texas. And so when I went there, all they knew was what I told them about myself and what they could see me doing. There were no expectations from my past, and so it was much easier to live in the hospital. Wow. So I, friend, seeing that it was needful. Seeing that it was needful to be in a different place, got on my horse. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. An appropriate metaphor. <laughs> okay. Knowledge and peace. 
decided that marriage would be a good thing. In the temple. In the temple. And went out and found him. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Well, I was just, just drawn by the book. Um, I was living in Nashville, Tennessee, and went to Boston Church. church. Oh, okay. And went to Boston Church. And about the second time I was there, I was asked to tell them about the Mormons. I said, I don't know anything about Mormons. Never heard of them. Don't know what that word means. So I knew my mother had joined the church. So I went home and I, I sat down and put help across the letter. I'll capitalize and ask my mom for help. Talking to my neighbor, she said, Hey, old Joe's a Mormon. Her husband. There's a police officer. I said, Joe's a Mormon? Yeah. But he's a Jack Mormon. Well, I know Jack Mormon from Jill Mormon. Didn't make me leave. And she said, Well, give him time to come home and get comfortable and, and um, come down and talk to him. So I did because my back girl looked back there that day. I went down to the one there was. He said, Uh huh. The one that's living there has all these positive books in the church. I would come with an arm of books. And I read, and I read, and I read. And I read a dissertation on the Mormon church. I think the Presbyterian Sunday School class. Oh, I don't know if I can hurt anybody but me. I went home and told who was then my husband. That church was true. He said, You can't join it. I said, Well, you know that. you can't join it. Don't tell me what I can't do. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't long I was leaving Nashville and back from El Paso, where my mother was married. And there, after a period of time and study and frustrations and learning what the Mormons really were, past what I had already given, I joined the church. Wow. I needed that. I wasn't living a bad life, didn't drink, didn't, you know, didn't do anything wrong, but I just needed a change. I needed something different rather than going from Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, Baptist, Fourth, whatever, if I wanted to go to church, if I didn't, I didn't. But that right there, and Joe being so positive, but being inactive, I, I couldn't understand that. But um, I know a lot of people, members are inactive, but I don't want to cross the street with me and my daughter. But uh, I needed that right there to wake up. And then I later found out that where I used to go get my meat there in Nashville, up on the hill, was a little chapel, a Mormon chapel. I later found that Great. Great. But I didn't join the church until I got back to so. Okay. But if you were going to write that up, you say your name is Jill? Gail. Gail. So if Gail was going to write that up, it would be I, Gail, needing to know more about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You know, re- retrieved information and studied, and found that there was more peace and hope and righteousness. My problem was when I left Nashville, I left so much behind. I just walked out. I packed my kids and yeah. So I left that dissertation, and maybe somebody found it and read and joined But you're here. But you're here now. But you're here now. So that's great. So imagine what it would be like in your journal if you keep a journal. For you to be able to write down the desires of Abraham and write down and where he says, and I Abraham, and write down right next to it, and I Judy, and then write your story, and liken your story to his story. Because one of the things that I have found in, in studying about Abraham uh, this week, as, as I very first started thinking about it, a word came to my mind, or a name came to my mind, and that name was Yedermon. 
Now, do any of you people who speak German out there know what Gatermann means? Every man. Every man. Gatermann is actually a morality play that was written in the 15th century, I think it was, and, and it's played every year at the Salzburg Festival. I've never seen it, but I know about it. Um, and it's just the, about the progression of a man's life until he is called upon to die and make an accounting of his life. And I, and I kept thinking, well, Yedermann, why am I thinking about that with Abraham? Well, Abraham faced challenges that we face today. Now, granted, our father's probably not trying to put us on an altar and sacrifice our lives, but think about the things that we, we talked about earlier. You know, he had... He, there was family problems. There were economic problems because of a drought. His brother died in the drought. There were traveling problems. There were homeless problems. There, they, he says that they, they, uh, eternity was their covering as they lived in tents, going from place to place to place. He had, uh, his wife had infertility problems. Um, there was squabbling in his home between Sarai and Hagar, which I don't know if we'll get to that or not, but he had the problems of every man. Granted, he was, he was the father of Christianity, Islam, Judaism, but he still had the problems of every man. He was Yedermon. Okay? And so we really can, as we study about Abraham, we can liken our lives to his on a number of, of levels. Now, oh, that's not going up. Okay, so in introducing Abraham or Abram, Genesis 12. Now we just did. Well, no, let's do, just go to Genesis 12. And do and somebody read for me if you would verses one to three. Who's my good reader? Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Give me out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and to a land that I will do thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thee thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Okay, thank you. Now, this is interesting. This is the first time we know about Abraham, isn't it? We learned in the previous chapter about his lineage and about his father. We think about maybe the drought. Um, and suddenly, here's the Lord speaking to Abram and telling him all the wonderful things that he's going to do for him. Well, where'd that come from? It doesn't, it doesn't tell us. What, what was it that the Lord was responding to in, uh, in, in speaking to Abram in such wonderful terms? Yeah, he had, he had rescued him. That's right. And that's when he said he wanted to get him out of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well... Let's go to the rest of the story, too, okay? The rest of the story isn't in Genesis. It's in Abraham. Go to Abraham, verses 
1 through 7. Okay, and I'm going to need a really good loud reader to stand up and read this for me. Some of it we've already read, but, but who, will, who will do that for me? Okay. Oh, wait, I've got two here. Oh. Let, <laughs> let's, let's let this... Okay. okay, this gal is about to go on a mission, by the way. Tell them where your mission calls to. South Carolina. South Carolina. And she is the daughter... Your name is? Korea. And the daughter of? Corey. Okay. Corey Lynn. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Nice and loud, Karina. In the land of the Chaldeans, at the residence of my father, I, Abraham, saw that it was needful for me to obtain another place of residence. And finding there was greater happiness and peace and rest for me, I sought for the blessing of the fathers, and the right moment I should be ordained to administer the same, having been myself a follower of righteousness, desiring also to be one who possessed great knowledge and to be a greater follower of righteousness, and to possess a greater knowledge, and to be a father of many nations, and to be a prince of peace, and desiring to receive instruction and to keep the commandments of God, I became a rightful heir, a high priest, holding the rights belonging to the fathers. And it was conferred upon me from the fathers, and it came down from the fathers from the beginning of time, yea, even from the beginning, or before the foundation of the earth, down to the present time, even the right of the firstborn, or the first man who is Adam, or first father, through the fathers unto me. I sought for mine appointment unto the priesthood according to the appointment of God unto the fathers concerning the seed. My fathers, having turned from their righteousness and from the holy commandments which the Lord their God had given unto them, unto the worshiping of the gods of the people, utterly refused to hearken to my voice. For their hearts were set to do evil, and were wholly turned to the god of Elkanah, and the god of Libna, and the god of Mamakra, and the god of Korash, and the god of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore they turned their hearts to the sacrifice of the heathen, and offering up their children unto these dumb idols, and hearkened not unto my voice, but endeavored to take away my life by the hand of the priest of Elkanah. Okay, thank you. So here we have Abraham. We have we have talked about this already, but we have Abraham yearning. He's yearning towards righteousness. And God hears him. He knows him. He knows the steps that Abraham is taking to try to become the kind of person that he would like to be, to have the blessings of what he terms the fathers. Who were the fathers? Hmm? Melchizedek was, was the current father, wasn't he? Everybody from Adam on down who had held the priesthood, they were the fathers. He wanted to be a father himself. Not just a physical father, but he wanted to be one of the fathers. He wanted to hold those rights and to be able to administer the same. Okay? He wanted to be able to baptize and to bless. Okay, let's go to... Oh, hold on. Let's go to verses 15 through 19. Okay, and this time, right behind Karina, you raised your hand. Let's have you read this one. Loud. And 
Almighty. And the angel of his presence stood by me and immediately unloosed my hands. And his voice was unto me, Abraham, Abraham, behold, my name is Jehovah. And I have heard thee and have come down to the living. And to take thee away from thy father's house and from all thy kinsfolk into a strange land which thou knowest not of. And this because they have turned their hearts away from me to worship the God of Elkanah, the God of Lebanon, and the God of Mamakha, and the God of Koresh, and the God of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore I have come down to visit them and to destroy them who have lifted up his hand against thee, Abraham, my son, to take away thy life. Behold, I will leave thee by my hand, and I will take thee to put upon thee my name. Even the priest of thy father, and my power shall be over thee. As it was with Noah, so it shall be with thee. But through thy ministry, my name shall be known in the earth forever. For I am thy God. All right. Those are the things that the Lord was responding to. All right. His journey towards righteousness and all the trouble he was in. But now, hold on. Let's take that that you just read. What was your name? Amanda. Amanda. Let's take that that Amanda just read and apply it to ourselves. Have there, has there ever been a time in your life that you were in trouble and you didn't know how you were going to get out of it? It may be something that you made for yourself. It may have been something that was thrust upon you. It may be job loss. It may be health issues. It all the things that are common to man. Did you hear what the Lord said to Abram? I have heard you. And I will, what? Deliver you. I have heard you, and I will deliver you. It's kind of as simple as that. Amanda? Um, I love in... Um when we're reading in Genesis, and it kind of was rewritten that, but the Lord is saying, I'm going to show you a place that you don't know of, a place that you haven't seen. And I think for us, wherever we are in our lives, these women that have talked about being raised in different homes that, you know, weren't ideal, you know, we have what we have, and the Lord says to us, follow me and I will show you something that you don't know, a joy that you haven't experienced. A peace that you don't know exists. But follow me, I will rescue you, I'll put my name upon you, and I will show you what, what can be. And that's our promise, too. Wow. That's right. Because Abraham is Yeraman. Yeraman. And, and we are we are too. So those are his promises to us, as well as to Abraham. Okay, thank you. So, do you know how much beautiful... Uh, artwork there is out on the internet for the Bible. It's just amazing. So, please excuse me, but I have taken advantage of a lot of it. Like I said, I learned how to do PowerPoint last night, and I was like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> <laughs> so, Abram leaves. And you know what? I am just about this time of the lesson every week. What does Kevin say? Oh my gosh, we've only got. <laughs> How many minutes left? Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> We're never going to get through all this. And we walk. So, 
So we'll get through what we can. So he leaves. And he takes with him his wife, the lovely Sarai, who must have been the Miss World of her day. She and was supposed to be five years old. She's ten years younger than him. So she's sixty. She's she's old too. So uh, as far as I know, there was no Avon or Mary Kay in the day. And you know, maybe it's good genetics, or maybe it is a miracle from the Lord that she was able to do the things that she did. They don't have the, they didn't have the ozone problem we have today. Okay, so he takes his lovely Sarai, and uh, this is his nephew Lot. I said in his wife, but I actually think that it's Abraham. <laughs> so forgive Sarah's beard that she has there. I mean, Lot's wife's beard. <laughs> I think it's two men. It's supposed to be Lot and his wife. Okay, and his father. Now, I found some humor in all of this. And one little piece of humor. It's all very serious stuff, but one little piece of humor. Tara. Tara, oh my gosh, am I really going to say this? Tara was a terror. <laughs> bad pun. But Tara was, you know, he's a bad guy. And uh, so, anyway, uh, Abram and Lot leave. And Tara, it, does, it doesn't say, it says, Abram leaves and he takes Lot with him. He, takes, he, he leaves, he takes his wife Sarai, he takes Lot, and he takes Lot's wife. And the next sentence is, and his father Tara followed after them. I don't know if he took Tara. <laughs> I think Tara followed after them. But anyway, Tara went. Okay, And the adventure begins. They've left Ur of the Chaldeans. Do you know where Ur is? Southern Iraq. That's right. And they go to a place called Haran. Has nothing to do with Abram's brother Haran. It's just the name of the place that they're going to. They go to Haran. Do you know where Haran was? It's in Turkey. Do you know how many miles it was? between Iraq and Turkey. One long walk. walk. Well, I can tell you. And the reason why I can tell you is that I went out to Google and I thought, I wonder where all these places are. And so I I found a a mileage finder and I put in Ur of the Chaldees (laughs) and I put in Haran and it came up with the driving directions. I think 792 miles. Yeah, they didn't have highways or anything, so I guess they went as the crow flies. But anyway, it is a long walk, and I couldn't believe it I, when I put that in there and it came up. I just sat there. <laughs> you know, er, haram. I couldn't believe it. But anyway, that's what it was. So, the adventure begins, and they're off. Okay, let's back up again. What do we know about Abram? He's the descendant of Shem, the son of Noah. At some time between Shem and Terah, Abram's family became apostate. His father was an idolater and sought to have him sacrificed. You could say he came from a dysfunctional family. <laughs> he did. He did. Do you know the story? Have you guys, have, has Kevin ever talked to you about the story of Abram uh, tearing down and breaking up Terah's gods? Well, it's a fun little story. It's one of those things that is in 
the traditions of Abraham uh, done by farms. Um, that Abram was, you know, he was already a believer in God. And he was not too impressed with all these little gods that Terah had. Terah had made the gods. And so Abram knew these gods can't, you know, Terah would be their god. Not those little gods, because he made them, you know. I mean, it's, it's just like, it didn't make sense to Abram. And so Abram asks his mother one day to make him a pot of savory stew. And he takes the pot of stew in to the room where the gods are. And wait. Did anything happen? Yeah, nothing happened. Gods can't eat those little gods can't eat the stew. They don't have any power to do it. And so I think there's a little bit more to it than this, but the the uh, the short of a long story is that uh, Abram takes an axe, Kevin. And he breaks, he just, he, he, he chops them up. He chops up all the gods except for the one big god. And he puts the axe next to the one big god. And then he goes out. <laughs> anyway, his father comes and sees what's happened. I think his, pro- his father probably knows that uh, Tara, I mean, that Abram is already, you know, not impressed with his, with his God. And so he asks Abram, he says, what did you do? What did you do? And uh, Abram says, I didn't do anything. I, I brought him the stew, you know, to see if they were hungry. And, and, and he says, and he, if they're all chopped up, I think the big guy did it. <laughs> now, whether that's true or whether it's not, <laughs> we begin to see why Tara might be uh, interested in sacrificing Abram. <laughs> okay? So, anyway, dysfunctional family. So why are we studying about him? He seems to have no permanent home. With no roof overhead, he said that eternity was their covering. Whoops. They traveled from Ur of the Chaldees in Iraq to Haran in Turkey, approximately 700 miles, with no Mary Kay or Avon. <laughs> After spending time in Haran, they packed up again and went to claim their promised land in Canaan, 400 miles away, which was uninhabitable because of the terrible drought. This is the land that God has, had covenanted with Abram that he was going to give him. And he got there. Kind of like Salt Lake? Yeah, kind of like when the pioneers went to Salt Lake. Really? You know? So, they packed up again and moved to Egypt, where they experienced fear, uncertainty, and terror. While Sarai lived in Pharaoh's home, and Abram lived the life of a bachelor. They were, however, able to eat. Because Egypt had food. Other places didn't. Um, Abram eventually became a very wealthy man, and then they were sent packing again back to Canaan. So, why are we studying about this seemingly nomadic man that some have thought of as a liar and a coward? Now, I'll tell you something. (laughs) I used to work at EDS for close to nine years. And there was a lady 
that sat right across the aisle from me. We each had our cubicles, okay? She sat right across the aisle from me. She was a member of the AME Church. You know, does anybody know what that is? It's the African, that's right, African Methodist Episcopal. She is very active in her church. And uh, she and I would have spontaneous devotionals frequently. And it was fun. I liked it. She would get that finger out, and she would bear testimony to me about any number of things, and I loved it. I, I loved it. I loved hearing from her. And she went to Bible study every Wednesday night. Well, she came in one Thursday morning, and she was, oh, very disgruntled. And I said, uh, what's the matter with you? That was Bible study. And she says, we studied about Abraham. He was a coward. And I, I, you know what I felt like? I felt like someone had slapped me in the face. It may be the first time in my life that I really realized how much we revere Abram, or Abraham. It's to hear somebody say that he was a coward. And I just looked at her and I said, Jerry, I said, Abraham wasn't a coward. And she said, yes, he was. He, he took his wife into Egypt and was afraid they were going to kill him. And he told him that she was his sister. And, uh, and anyway, and I just thought, what's uh, something more to this? And, you know, and, and she sat down and she got all set for a day. And he says, she says, and besides that, he had more than one wife. Uh, here we are. And I'm going to use the euphemism that she did, and I hope that it doesn't offend anyone. And she says, he had three buckets. And he dipped his ladle in each one. And I thought, oh. Okay. Here's, here's the problem. And I told her, I says, Jerry, I said, I, I see that you're really upset. And I says, I don't think that there's anything that I can tell you that's going to make you happier. But you need to go back and talk to your minister and tell him that you think Abram is a coward and see what he has to say. And she just kind of grumbled and she goes, you're always getting me in trouble with my minister. (laughs) (laughs) But, But she did. And the next week she came in and she said, okay, I have to repent. Abram... Abraham wasn't a coward. He was a great man. What the world thinks when we don't have modern revelation. Because you could think that, that Abram was a coward. As a matter of fact, we don't have, we only have ten minutes left. (laughs) So, anyway, that was my reaction. Are you serious? It's a coward? No. Um, Okay. Actions and works of Abraham were, here's the finger, were inspired by God. They were. The Lord told Abraham that he would lead him by the hand. What a comfort that is to us. When, when you're having a terrible time and you read in Abraham and you see that the Lord said that he would lead him by the hand, if Abraham is, Yedermon, what does it mean for you? He'll do it for you too. He'll lead you by the hand. So, Why did he leave Ur? Well, 
Genesis 12, 1. We've already read all that. We know why he left Earth. But he did it because God told him to. Uh, why did he leave? And, then, and he went to Haran, right? Why did he leave Haran? Abraham 2, 6. And I'll let you go back and, and read these. The Lord told him it was time to go. And so this was really interesting. When he went, what did he take with him? His wife. His wife? His name. Lot? Huh? Well, read it. Go to Genesis 12. No, uh, Abraham 2, 6. Go to Abraham 2, 6. Because they weren't just sitting around Haran waiting for the drought to be over. Who's got 2, 6? Go ahead. But I, Abraham, and Lot, my brother's son, prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord appeared unto me and said unto me, Arise and take Lot with thee, for I have purposed to take thee away out of Haran, and to make of thee a minister to bear my name in a strange land, which I will give unto thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession when they hearken to my voice. Was there more? Oh, well, it's the new seven. The seven. That's all of the... Do seven. That's all of six. Okay, seven. do seven. See if... What's seven? <laughs> for I am the Lord thy God. I dwell in heaven. The earth is my footstool. Okay. I'm, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't put the right verse in there that I was looking for. Oh. They, when they left Haran, they took everyone. You're nodding your head, Monty. Do you know the answer? They took everyone and everything. They took everyone that they had converted yes. while they were in Haran. While they were, according to the traditions of Abraham, written, by, written up by farms, they had been converting people while they were there. People saw that there was something substantial about Abram, and they flocked to him. Monty? The gospel is the same wherever. Just like now, the church is pushing very strongly towards missionary work. It always has where there's been righteousness. That's right. It's and, verse and we, 15. Hmm? It's verse 15. Verse 15. Okay. Good. Verse 15. <laughs> Abram 2, verse 15. Okay. So, he had attracted people to him. The, the traditions of Abraham, Abraham say that Abram taught the men and Sarai taught the women. They taught people about the gospel. Does that mean they have a new society? Yeah, they may have had a new society. Which, by the way, they taught people the gospel of Abram. Okay? If you, if you go back to the uh, Kirtland Temple... Remember how the keys are delivered to Joseph and Oliver there? What was one of the, the keys? The keys of the gospel of Abraham. Abraham had his own gospel. I mean, how great is that? So they taught the people while they were in Haran, and so when they left Haran, they left with a much larger contingency of people than they did when they came to Haran. They had gathered people to them. Okay, so that's why he left there. So he's not just a wandering nomad without purpose. Um, why did he tell the Egyptians? We, we really are going to have to go faster, and I'm really sorry. Why did he tell the Egyptians that Sarai was his sister? Abraham 2, 22. Yeah, God told him to because Sarai... As old as she was, 
was a fabulous babe. <laughs> the, it seems like there's a in there that they would kill him, so they yeah. perhaps they should be killed. That's right. And it seems like in those cultures that there's, there's, this, uh, there's this family thing, like maybe that they wouldn't have disrespected her because if they disrespected his sister, then all that those would, people would... They'd go they more with her. Yeah. As his sister, because in the scripture, I think people get a little ruffled because it's like to save my soul. When he says it, it's like it would be safer for me if you're my sister. Yeah. And not only that, let's see, did I see a hand back here? I just had the impression that that he, um, she was a sister, but because of, you know, they were like, when you go into the genealogy, he wasn't lying. Well, there's there's an interesting thing. Did you want to? Well, I was wondering, it sounds like he not only told them that she was his sister, but the Pharaoh took her as a wife. Well, the Pharaoh tried to take her as a wife. But now what happened, what, in the traditions of the day of, of Abraham, um, in, the place, in, in the place near where Sarai grew up, or, Lot, or, or Lot's wife, or... I can't remember the exact person, but it was in the area. It was called the Hurrites, I think. I probably got that wrong. Writings have been found that said that when, that frequently, when a son was going to take a wife, that the father, before the marriage or after the marriage, would actually adopt. I see you nodding your head, sister. Don't you've heard that? Yes. Can you? Can you? Okay. Yeah. And and it was for it, you know it could have been for a number of reasons, but one was for the protection of the new wife. If the son were to die, if her husband were to die, she would have no protection under the law because women have no rights. And so if if her husband were to die, she would still be attached to the family as a legitimate daughter. Okay, are you, are you coming? Oh, you're closing prayer. Okay. As, as a legitimate daughter. So, it, in another part uh, of the scriptures, Abraham says, Yes, Sarai was my, sis, was my father's daughter, but not my mother's daughter. So, thank you. Okay, so there are things that we don't know, but things that may have been. We don't know. So it may have been truer than what we're thinking that he, he could call Sarai his sister. But they got there, and it was true. The uh, princes of Egypt saw Sarai and thought she was the most beautiful thing that they had ever seen. So they go to Pharaoh and say, you've got to see this woman. And uh, not only that, she's the sister of the man that she's with. And so anyway, Pharaoh brings her into his home. And I believe it was for two years. And uh, there's, once again, the traditions of Abraham. There are some some great things out there about how the Lord protected Sarai. Because Pharaoh really did have designs on her. And, And not necessarily in holy matrimony. Okay, He really did have designs on her. And, uh, and in Genesis, it just says that uh, uh, plagues came upon the Pharaoh's house 
because of Sarai. And the Pharaoh finally thinks, oh my gosh, get her out of here. These plagues are because of her. So they've already given Abram a tremendous amount of goods. You know, camels, she asses, he asses, goats. I mean, they just go on and on about how much they give. So when he leaves town, finally, Abram <coughs> is a rich man. Okay, but in the meantime, let me tell you this, because I just I find it just a little fun, um, is that if Abram is there within the life of the bachelor, right, because his wife is in Pharaoh's house, but he is praying with all of his heart and soul, Lord, protect Sarai, protect her virtue. Um, and of course, Sarai is probably obviously praying for the same thing. But in, uh, in this traditions of Abraham, there are several stories to, to explain all that. Whether they're true or not, I don't know. But uh, they, they all kind of go the same. Is that when Pharaoh brings Sarai into his home and he wants to make advances toward her, that an angel comes with a drawn sword and every time that Pharaoh tries to make an advance towards Sarai, that the angel chases him from one corner of the room to the other. <laughs> All night long. <laughs> and, and, you know, they're just similar, stories that are similar to that. And so it's kind of fun, but the, the, the end result is the Lord protected Sarai. And the Pharaoh got the idea... I've got to get out, out of here. For one thing, all, all of his wives were no longer bearing children. It says that their, their wombs closed up. And so that was one of the plagues. And uh, so they got, they got Abraham out of town. So, oh my goodness. Why did Abraham... We'll, we'll do this last. Why did Abraham accept Hagar from Sarai? And this was my friend's problem. Remember my friend Jerry with the... Yeah. Um, why? Um, Joseph Smith lets us know. In the Doctrine and Covenants, he's received a revelation in, in section 132. Now, let me back up just a minute. For most of my life, I have blamed the troubles in the Middle East on Sarai. <laughs> Can you imagine why? The Lord had already told them that you know, they were going to have this posterity like the sands of the sea, the stars of the heavens. And uh, apparently she was never really converted to that idea because she didn't have any children. And uh, so finally she gets impatient in the, in the traditional story that I was used to. She becomes impatient. She takes Hagar, who is for an Egyptian maid that they picked up in Egypt, probably, and says, Hagar will have children for me. And, and so Abram takes Hagar to be a lesser wife, a concubine, which was legitimate in those days. Um, and now Hagar bears Ishmael. And so I just always thought, you know, if Sarai wouldn't have been so impatient then she would have eventually had the child of her own, Isaac, 
and there wouldn't be all these squabbles in the Middle East about who owns this map. But the Lord tells us in section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants that he commanded, the Lord commanded that Abram should take Hagar and that Sarah believed and complied and took Hagar to Abram. Okay? So, the actions and works of Abraham were inspired by God. And we are done, and I wish that we had another hour to go because there's just so much neat, interesting stuff on Abram. And I hope that you will go home and you will study this week and that you will give yourself over to the things that you're studying so much that you feel like you're right in the middle of them. Enjoying the things that you study, but also applying them to your own life. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. So what's for next week? Next week, it's going to be Ishmael. Not Ishmael, excuse me. Well, Ishmael, but Isaac. It's going to be Isaac. It's going to be Abraham and Isaac. And I told Kevin, I'm glad that it wasn't this week because I will be tired. It's 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 a hard one for for me. It's a very emotional one. But that's for next week. (coughs) I don't know. (coughs) But I'm assuming it's going to be after 17. 18 to 23. Okay. And Kevin, I'll turn the time over to you for a closing prayer. Okay. Thank you. I don't Our Father, which art in heaven, we're thankful for the Relief Side broadcast that happened and how many people were able to watch, including the men, and that's available, so so available. And we ask that as the translations roll across the earth in all the different languages, that the Relief Side will be able to have a oneness throughout the world that has never been able to be felt before. Because of the strength that they have, like Katrina going on her mission, <clears throat> and we, at least we forget, we want to pray for Kevin Hinckley. We heard he had a tooth that uh, had a problem this morning, and so we really enjoy the time that he's, he sacrifices on our behalf. So we pray that you'd help him with that. And please help us to be able to be one with Abraham. Help Abraham to know that we took an hour out of our week to be one with him in this way, that we can study his life and feel oneness with him in his life. We thank for his righteousness. We apologize for him, Tim, for people who defame him throughout the world. That just seems to be what happens to righteous people. And we hope that our love for him overcomes any ill feeling that he has about that. And this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
asked me to give yes. that to you. And I meant to bring you the shampoo yeah. and the sertraline. You got my you got my text email. I mean my voicemail didn't email back. Just take the sertraline from Thank you. And I brought you one because the pills don't seem to be right in this one. Split in half and it's two colors. Yeah, that's the um, that's the school sophomore. Okay. And it's every other one. Okay. Then I then it's okay in the ones that I'm using. Um, but anyway, I've been snipping them out of that one, so I brought it back to you to let me fix it. Okay. What are you going to do right now? Um. Well, I'm going to see if you'll come out to the car with me and look at your mother's mouth. She says um, that she thinks her mouth is sore from eating hard candy. What might be? Yeah, but she's been saying it for a week, and now she's saying the roof of her mouth is sore. So I wanted you to look and see. She's not getting any hard candy except um, those Werther's that you suck on. Oh, okay. Um, if you would like to follow me or come over to my house, I can give you the the rest of the sertraline and the, and the shampoo. Okay. I meant to bring them today, but I was you know, kind of flustered, so I forgot. Okay, I just have to be at uh, Walmart at 12 to pick up the missionary, so we've got time. Okay, alrighty. Thank you. Yes, sir. I just want to thank you. It's very interesting. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. She did good, huh? Fran, is this yours? I'm sure I get a chance to see it. Huh? Yeah. Patrick, did you know that you may not have been able to notice that Grandma is in the room? Do you know Fran? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. She's, she's back there. Oh, there we go. Nice here. Yeah, you want to go? You want to go give her a hug? Yeah.